Hey everyone, welcome back to DJ Responsibly. We have a special episode for you today featuring guest speakers from Morpho, Block Analytica, and Gauntlet. Uh, the focus of today's space is to discuss the current landscape for DeFi risk management, uh, what's wrong with it, and how can it be improved. Um, before we dive into the discussion, guys, one of the uh, for those people who aren't aware, could you guys just give a quick intro of your of your roles and what your protocol or firms do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm at Gauntlet. Uh, we are a financial modeling solution provider for primarily DeFi protocols and other people involved in the crypto space focused on, you know, primarily economic and, and market risk, along with uh, the applied research team, which does a lot of research, novel research around mechanism design, incentives, and, and other things. Hey, I'm uh, Monet. I uh, work with Block Analytica. We're a uh, a risk management and data consulting company. Uh, we primarily work with uh, MakerDAO as their kind of their responsible risk team, but um, also do other stuff here and there as for you know other lending protocols in the space. Hey, and I'm uh, Paul, so uh, from uh, Morpho Labs. Uh, I'm CEO there, and uh, we're building the Morpho protocol. So basically, we have uh, two protocol. One protocol is uh, known as Morph Optimizer and is a lending protocol built on top of existing lending protocols such as having Compound and providing a, a strictly better race with like a similar uh, risk and liquidity guarantees uh, and currently has close to $1 billion in total supply. Uh, and uh, we've recently announced we've been working over the last nine months into uh, a new lending primitive uh, that is uh, trustless and uh, you know, has interesting uh, takes on the risk management. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, going to be a great occasion to discuss those today. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so I think it would be good to first talk about wh what the sort of landscape is today for, for risk management. How, how exactly do Dallas manage risk and who are the primary stakeholders involved? Um, maybe start with you, Paul, since, and since Morhold does have that unique experience of being both a, a lender and a user of these platforms. Yeah, sure. So I guess the the current space of like uh, risk management, like as many many different faces depending on, on the protocol. I guess I just focus on on you know Ave, Morpho, Compound. Obviously, like uh, Monet could talk about Maker, uh, but I think you know when it comes to stablecoins, it's like fairly fairly different as well. When it comes to to lending, I think you have different layers uh, in in risk management. Like uh, you know, you can come with the intent of just lending some USDC and you want to be very passive about it. So at some point, someone is going to basically invest that USDC. And so this sort of like a investment decision has to be guided at some point by expertise. And this expertise can come up at different levels. And, and the way the, you know, the compound protocol initially introduced uh, uh, its model is like basically having the user choosing for all those different risk parameters is like a nightmare. So what we're going to do is that the compound DAO will be managing those risk parameters uh, on behalf of the user. Well, now the DAO is not necessarily, you know, uh, it's like a community of token orders and you cannot possibly monitor every possible outcome of what, you know, could happen to those USDC. So they, you know, they started employing like risk 
contractors to basically advise them on those uh, risk decisions. And, and, you know, that's like the current, uh, you know, mostly very successful model of Avin Compound, which is having, you know, risk consultants uh, working uh, for the uh, Aave DAO, for the Compound DAO, and many other uh, protocols out there. And I, I have to say, like, this has been, like, very successful uh, over the last years. And to me, and I, I will probably have the chance to discuss about it, it just has some scalability. Uh, limits uh, in in the long run, but that's how currently we like the, the space is sort of shaped. I I would add though that you also have like all this uh, data data analytics uh, that would come to a device sort of like you know provides some sort of visual representation of the blockchain and I would not say advice but actually provide insightful like good insights uh, to the user. I think like for example, Block Analytica has like very good uh, uh, data and like liquidation price on, on throughout different learning protocols. So I would say those are like how the space is shaped today. Cool. Uh, Nick or Mane, is there anything you want to add there? I think Paul covered it pretty well. I think in this article, we talked about like liquidity and I'd say probably you know, the primary job to be done or pain point that you know, the compound and office of the world are solving. And I'm not speaking for like the community and all the delegates or stakeholders is a bit more on, you know, growth or, you know, borrow or, or TVL versus the long tail of users sometimes. And there's a lot of trade-offs to be had there or considered there from like a risk management perspective. And then like the comment on like sort of the legal liability, um, tough to say given like, you know, these core teams, Ave being primarily European, Compound being primarily or at least originally US based, uh, different considerations there. And uh, usually there's the DAO doesn't have a lot of insight into those decisions from the core teams but the large stakeholders which sometimes are either like us us based species or or elsewhere yeah so i think i think we can sort of just dive into some of the points that paul made in his article um i think think he basically called out the existing dow based model uh as it is today not being well suited for risk management um there's various reasons for that I guess from being from without not being agile enough to its members not being experts at risk, and this creates problems like uh, broken incentives uh, for risk managers. Um, so, so for getting wanted to get more of the the risk consultant side from either Monet or Nick. Do you agree with the points that he points out about the limitations at, as they are today? I can hop in for a, a moment. Um, I think he was really right to call out that there, at least in theory, is a bit of a principal agent problem with um, with like basically risk service providers and then the protocols that they're advising. Um, you know, the service providers, uh, at least financially, you know, their, their incentive is to kind of continue um, having the contract sort of renew um, and then also the delegates and the token holders for these various protocols, they might not have the expertise to really um, sort of determine whether the service providers are doing a good job. Um, so I, I know in his article, he called out like a uh, theoretical situation where there's you know two different service providers bidding on uh, a contract with one of these protocols and like sort of different risk parameters and then they're also competing on price um so yeah i think it is 
it's, um, you know, difficult for communities to really align behind, you know, who they should be taking advice from. Um, and then, you know, whether or not they actually just accept the advice as is and kind of vote stuff through or whether they want to incorporate other strategic goals like, um, you know, maybe they want to favor certain tokens in their protocol because they have a partnership with this other protocol. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of like theoretical alignment issues with service providers versus protocols, and then also protocols with the users. Um, the incentives aren't, you know, perfectly aligned all the way down that, that stack. And I'd go a lot of that. And then, you know, if a DAO is successful, like, you know, as both, you know, Paul and Monet have sort of indicated, like Compound and Aave definitely have been and, and are, they do actually become a DAO as in like more decentralized and there's more delegates, more professional delegates, often more service providers. So like while the governance forum and CT can seem more contentious, like the alternative of this success is like a reversion back to the core team, which we've seen like a lot of people that try to spin up a DAO or a forum or a discord and they go to sort of dark and a lot of those controls or, uh, you know, risk parameters that they hope the community or potentially service providers would tune and optimize over time actually just revert to still sort of the, the original core team that was doing it. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you guys both agree uh, with some of the, the limitations that, that Paul calls out. Um, but I think Paul also uh, mentions a, a deeper uh, fundamental structure issue where uh, I think, Paul, you talked about the, the decentralized broker versus protocols, where today's Aave compound are more like decentralized brokers, where you have this on-chain governance system um but i think you're arguing more that uh for the future of finance we need a more uh a, a DeFi primitive that is governance mi minimized um where you kind of eliminate these trust assumptions that that still exist in lending protocols today yeah i i, I can expand on that if, if that was the question by the way uh i but i i, I guess um on on this point where decentralized brokers versus protocols. I guess it depends on the the use case and the scenario. Like for example, on stable coins, I feel like this sort of like decentralized broker model is like very well appropriated where it's very hard to come up with an actual protocol where the complexity is pushed back to the user just because every single user is tied to the same stable coin. So, you know, no one can basically express preference because they're all tied to the same risk profile in some sense, which is embedded into that same token. So I think in case of stable coins, it makes a lot of sense uh, to have this uh, sort of model where the DAO is managing the risk or, you know, having some entities or sub DAOs to actually basically manage that risk for them, uh, for it. Uh, in the case of lending, I think it's fairly different because there are so many different lending use cases for saying, you know, long tails, real world assets are becoming increasingly interesting. Uh, as well, but you know, this is obviously the blue chips. You have cross chain, so it's very multi-dimensional. And the truth is that users are not necessarily tied with one another in the sense that you know they may want to express different risk preference. And the truth is that it is true that in order to scale, it's good to fungibilize liquidity under the same risk model. And this is what, you know, Compound and Aave has been doing extremely well. Uh, but at some point, and you could see over the last year, the number of risk parameters that uh, you have in, in those lending pools 
is becoming really, really important. It's like, I think on Avid DAO, we are close to 700 uh, intertwined risk parameters. And, and the complexity just keeps growing if we want the protocol to grow. And I think, you know, that is not scalable also because parameters are intertwined with one another. You have to take efficiency trade-offs, so that's not efficient enough. And obviously there is like different trust aspects. So those are the three reasons why I believe an approach where, you know, we we basically have the uh, the uh, a protocol instead where only the logic of the loan is executed at the at the primitive layer, and the complexity of risk management is pushed back to the user, and and basically some users will know how to do risk management. Okay, maybe not the majority, uh, but some users will know and they will directly interact with the primitive. And those that don't know, well, they can basically you know in some way have, uh, you know, pay whatever risk uh, ad advisor to actually help them uh, to do so, or supply liquidity in vaults that are actually doing risk management on their behalf. And this way you sort of reproduce the, not only do you reproduce the user experience for the user, but you also re-aggregate liquidity uh, for the end user. And I think that that model for lending, where you have protocol that is completely trustless uh, and also, you know, much more primitive, so is more efficient uh, on uh, below and then on top have some sort of like a, a risk a permissionless risk management layer to me it feels like a stronger model a more scalable model uh, and also a more clean and trustless stack but again I think that's specifically true for lending and uh, I'm not sure this would apply correctly to 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 stable code but I'm very curious to have Monet's and, and, and Nick's opinion on, on that one um, Monet or Nick do you guys Want to respond to that? Uh, yeah, I can briefly um, talk about that. I I generally think that um, Paul makes really good points about scalability and trying to make like a protocol that's as general as possible at the base layer. Um, you know, it, it opens you up to you know stuff like listing longer tail assets um, and individual users can decide whether or not they want to participate or have exposure against them. So I think it it sort of broadens um, sort of the event horizon of, of what you can do with DeFi lending protocols. Um, and then also, you know, with how many different assets and parameters are involved in, in uh, Aave and compound money markets, um, you do see that it, it gets really difficult and time-consuming for them to just kind of update all these parameters as conditions change. Um, I think that there's still a bit of opportunity to kind of push forward um, the sort of existing uh, compound or Aave style model of lending though, where um, if you figure out ways to automate some of these parameters in a way that's, you know, responsive to risk conditions and, and markets, um, you can kind of abstract a lot of these, you know, parameter change proposals into much higher level sort of formula or algorithms that you only need to update very infrequently if you notice that it's reaching some sort of unproductive like local maxima. Um, so I think that there's still there's still a lot of opportunity to um, get to a more trustless state with a lot less tinkering um, for just kind of like the, the current model of lending as well. Um, and they won't necessarily be as general as um, 
you know, sort of like a really unopinionated base layer lending protocol. But um, at least at, you know, at Maker, we've seen the vast majority of demand and sort of use from uh, different users in the space is mainly on larger assets. So um, you can still kind of capture the majority of of the demand for lending. Um, theoretically, you might be able to capture that uh, with, you know, a protocol that's still kind of uh, based on the the Aave and Compound model. One of the first things we did about like two years ago when we secured an engagement with the Aave DAO was to put up a snapshot for what risk profile the DAO sort of wanted. Uh, try to keep it high level, aggressive, conservative, and moderate, I think, were the choices. We sort of dissatisfied a lot of people. Uh, I think most people fell in the middle bucket. bucket and we sort of landed on a, a moderate model for value at risk. Of course, our models change for how we model the risk over time, as well as sort of the DAO's perception, but also like the DAO's stakeholders are extremely fluid. And, you, know, the, you know, the voting populace is extremely fluid. New blockchain clubs, new whales, and uh, new community members and things like that. So it's been historically difficult and like extremely fluid. But at the end of the day, functional even you know across all the the new deployments i think when we started there's only mainnet and polygon and now there's you know, considerably more um so yeah it's it's been a natural and like evolving tension ever since uh range for improvement for sure um i definitely echo you know some of the sentiment of, of polygon regarding the point that you know that this there's an ever increasing number of risk parameters that that you need you may need to update is that something that you think is sustainable in the long term for, for risk managers? And do you, do you guys also have that uh, that competing balance of uh, of driving capital efficiency versus risk management when, when pro- pro- proposing these uh, parameter updates? We do. Um, you know, capital efficiency was the, the meme of crypto Twitter a year and a half ago. And then post FTX, capital efficiency was no longer. It's just like, hey, make sure we don't blow up. So that's a little bit of like the risk profile in narrative and, you know, revealed preference through the forum and, you know, a lot of snapshot polling and, and votes and similar. Is this sustainable to some extent with, you know, more headcount and more models? And, you know, we feel like we've scaled pretty well across all the, the AMI L2 deployments and elsewhere. Um, others might disagree though. I, yeah, I just, uh, quickly on this, I think like, uh, so first, yeah, I, like, I mean, we have to acknowledge that like this model have been like in practice working very well, uh, across like different chains, like, even though, you know, it seems complicated to have every day DAO votes being pushed, like in practice, this is what's happening and it's been, you know, uh, successful so far. What I would be more worried about is like in the long run, having like more, you know, unfortunate events like the one we, we've seen uh, with the CRV position where basically the model becomes too complex for just like monitoring to actually be able to capture every possible uh, outcomes of such pools on so, so many different markets. So my point would be that, you know, bad things can happen and they almost already happen many times uh and um yeah and i i think because of that we should lean toward more i would say permissionless and and trustless base layer with permissionless risk management on top uh but at the same time like you know i i i, I agree with one point i think there's still room uh for improving 
this uh, the operations of setting risk parameters. There's definitely ways. Like I think there is like this risk doubt paper that is really good about like uh, basically devising a formula for the uh, maximum NTV, which is the core risk parameters of each learning protocol. And I think there's we're increasingly like finding ways to automate those things. I think zk storage is an incredibly promising technology for that regard, where we'd be able to to compute on chain uh, interesting you know uh, values that we could be used in in a more general format to compute risk parameters. All I'm saying is that it's just pushing back the uh, sort of scalability issues. I, I don't feel like this will. Maybe that can keep growing and keep evolving in the right direction, but I think like the end game to me cannot be, uh, or at least it does not feel right to rely on stat too many one single statistical approach for the all the lending activity of the entire world. Just like if you compare it to like traditional finance uh, volumes, where you, you get to have like trillions of dollars of volume daily in lending activity. I don't believe we can have one single, you know, pool of liquidity, even with automations and even with scaling the number of, of people, you know, monitoring those risk parameters. I would be very uncomfortable to have like uh, all the liquidity of the world into one single pool. Uh, and again, maybe that can be divided into multiple pools, etc. But again, it's like pushing back the, the problem, the fundamental problem, I think. Oh, for sure. I mean, you don't want to be, you don't want to have one risk manager for all of crypto, right? <laughs> That'd just be bad. I think there's something really um, appealing about the idea for kind of like the the protocols uh, as as Paul was kind of describing them in his article that like they can't go bankrupt um, versus, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of lending uh, facilities that we have now, like Compound or Maker, Ave, um, the risk is kind of held at the protocol layer, which it has the the benefit of you know basically those those DAOs are providing like implicit insurance for their users. But um, the idea of like a base layer lending primitive that um, just by def by definition cannot become insolvent, um, it is really appealing, and it it feels like that. Um, has a lot going for it to make it kind of like a safer foundation to build on top of. Interesting points. I think you guys certainly agree that there's still some improvements that could be made to the existing model. Um, um, I think uh, one, one other point that, that Paul also called out was the lack of transparency uh, around some of these, I guess, closed-end models uh, that you guys use on the risk consulting side. Uh, do you think, um, you know, maybe open sourcing those models or providing more transparency on how you sort of model these uh, these value at risk events uh, could make the space safer overall. Yeah, just just to be clear, I I don't think like the the problem relies on the fact that uh, you know not everything is open source in in risk management. I think that's just a consequence of like how the incentives are designed. In the current model, where there are actually very few incentives for risk managers to fully open source all the model they use, just because otherwise, why would the DAO, you know, want to pay a consultancy fee if everything is open source and and, and very accessible? So I think, like, my point is like that would be very much better to have open source stuff. But at the same time, currently the way the system is designed does not encourage for open source. But obviously, I think Nick would have probably a much you know more complete 
take uh, on, on on this than than me? Uh, I mean, yeah, we've so we've open sourced like some your you know a good amount of our methodologies around VAR and our how we weight models and how we do like CMA yes to sort of like extrapolate you know historical trends and, and things like that. Of course, we protect some of our agent IP and model IP. We are super bullish CK co-processing to be able to more provably and you know uh, tell DAOs and communities our model weights and our inputs uh, without re- revealing too much to Monet or other competitors as you know we see fit. I don't think like and while I'm super bullish, like what Morpho is building and those models perfectly solve that. Like it, we wouldn't just completely open source everything Gauntlet's building. Like we sort of have a lot of you know, things we think are valuable and, but also want to lean to, into the open source ecosystem as much as possible and ZK as much as possible. We'll do that. Um, yeah, there's, there's obviously a, a good amount of trade-offs that we haven't perfectly solved and how we communicate, but the trend and the pull of, you know, any DAO that we operate in has always been like, explain, tell us why. Um, and we've tried to lean into that as much as possible. Yeah. I think, um, protocols, uh, you know, it's sort of like an implicit thing of, of when they're deciding or like sort of deliberating over what service providers they're hiring and like how that whole contracting process works. Um, I, I think like DAO voters do kind of keep this in mind, but if, if you, um, create a situation where it's too competitive, um, and like, you know, basically you'll just switch the service providers that you're working with, you know, on a dime because somebody undercuts their price, you know, five or 10%. Um, it can create negative incentives where, you know, the service providers, um, just financially aren't really incentivized to like open source as much or to, um, to, you know, do more automation research or stuff like that. That's going to kind of reduce the, the workload that they can bill for. Um, so I think um, it's kind of just an interesting sort of layer to the whole DAO service provider relationship that, um, you know, it's kind of a, a repeat game. Um, so you need to think about um, how that whole uh, hiring process uh, really flows through to like the incentives and the sort of work product and transparency that you're going to get out of that relationship. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, you know, kind of a complicated uh, situation. It's complicated for the DAOs too, right? Like any service provider that's serving a DAO and asking for that transparency of saying like Gauntlet or Block Analytic and show your methodology in our public forums, the Abe forks of the world, the compound forks of the world are then just sort of scooping that data or at least bootstrapping or then, you know, using that as information, which, you know, maybe they rightfully should. So the DAO actually wants to protect the IP of the service providers they're paying for as well. Yeah, good points. Um, Definitely not a hard thing to do fully being fully open source um but i guess this goes back to um one of paul's other main points is do you believe the current uh DeFi protocols today as they are can can be sustainable in the long run or do we need or do you think we we, we will also need another primitive that, that serves that need better sustainable yes do i think they've unlocked all the demand no um, well i i, I would probably a bit more doubts in the sustainability aspect of things like i think so so what's interesting about morpho is that it's at the same time the largest 
like the third largest lending protocol in Ethereum, but it's also the largest lending protocol user. And we've been building on top of our income pump for the last two years. We deployed like a year ago. And you know, like the, the first thing you realize when you're like an actual builder on top of, of, of having compounds is that it's actually a, a very moving ground. Like, and it's just like, there are upgrades, you know, some protocols are, uh, some, some versions are depreciated, new assets are coming in, some are frozen, some are not frozen. And if you're building on top of Avid, like Morpho is building on top of, of, of Avid, it's, it's really, really complex to, to, to actually be able to build very, I would say sustainable businesses. So the core itself could remain sustainable, like integrations on top uh, would, you know, probably would not be able to unlock as much value as they could have been uh, doing on top of a more immutable primitive. So that's like a more on the demand growth side of things. On this sustainability side of things, I would say that uh, as someone building on top of Avin Compound, I've been also worried, like, like genuinely genuinely worried of what were going to be the risk decisions uh, by the DAO in some intense moments where the DAO had to react quickly or some quorums had to go pa uh, fast, etc. And I think this, you know, again, like, I don't want to be taking like, uh, uh, like the muffinos to, <laughs> to the, uh, but, but the idea is that if it can happen, I think at some point, like it will happen. Maybe not not now, maybe not next year, maybe not in the next two, three years, but you know, maybe in the fourth year, we'll have a very bad event or some very large bad debt that will you know, follow with some, some bankruptcy. I'm not saying that uh, this will necessarily happen. Like, I'm just thinking like as, as someone built that has been building on top of those lending pools. Uh, it's a very uncomfortable position to be in to basically witness incidents after incidents, like uh, a debug after debug <laughs> incidents. But it's it's hard to hard for me to believe that this is the long term model, at least as it is now. Uh, I think if the the Ave uh, the Ave platform uh, wants to to keep existing in five years from now, it obviously has to evolve a lot from where it is right now, and uh, on different aspects. But yeah, so I would emit a bit more doubt on on the sustainability uh, set of things. Yeah, be. Curious to hear from from you, Nick. Did, did you guys, um, I guess, model the, the impact that that curve would have had if it, if the price had hit the liquidation point and and, and the the sort of impact that would have had on the whole Ave ecosystem? We did. Uh, we put it in the forum. I don't recall the exact insolvency expectations of different drawdowns. They were in the millions. They weren't the full position. Obviously, you know, there's this composite. Order book you have to take into account where it's not just like the DEX and centralized exchange liquidity, but clearly, you know, Michael Egeroff was able to source plenty of OTC demand. Um, so how do you consider that um, given what you definitely can prove and, and show sort of on-chain or, or through sort of centralized APIs and otherwise? Um, and then it, trying to just better, best inform the DAO and sort of the delegates of the, the decisions to make. Uh, luckily, we were just echoing a lot of the sentiment we had shared for you know nine months in and around curve and increasing that asset and trying to deprecate it to to get that position and that exposure over to b3 which is more isolated um yeah that was sort of the, the goal and of our education campaign i guess you can call it there i think the curve situation is really uh it's it's really interesting as well because i think a lot of people have sort of reacted to it as evidence that 
the the current sort of uh, managed or like you could call it a brokered model um, just doesn't work fundamentally. But I think in a way it's actually just very specific to Aave V2 having fewer kind of like risk controls available just at the protocol level. And already even with Aave V3 and like the sort of iterative uh, improvements with, you know, isolation mode and debt ceilings and stuff like that, um, you can already see that it'd be much more safe to have a, you know, a curve position exist over there than on V2. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it is a little bit of evidence of, of the struggles that these, uh, the decentralized broker model of protocols have, but, um, it also kind of points towards it not being like a lost cause and that, you know, if you continue iterating and improving on these mechanisms, they still have, uh, you know, a bit of gas in the tank. Yeah, I would add though that the direction that uh, the decentralized brokers are supposed to take is that they have to increase the number of, of parameters. They have to increase the complexity uh, of the pool in order to, you know, basically tackle every single hedge case. Uh, and I think that that would be the path forward for for decentralized brokers, like increasing like the control that the DAO can have, and like the the flexibility and the dimensions that they they can actually monitor. Uh, I think that raises new problems, which are obviously scalability and, and efficiency overall. Uh, and also like just readability. I think like for token holders to truly understand what they're doing when they're raising a bar cap or changing an LCD in IVV3, like I'd, I'd be surprised is like if, you know, most of the voters do actually understand what they're voting for, to be frank. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess there is definitely a gas in the tank for 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 this model. I, I'm just thinking that's that's. I, I don't believe that's the most scalable and and trustless and, and efficient way forward. Um, but yeah, that definitely a pass there. Yeah, why don't we um, move the conversation a little bit towards what what a potential solution or improvements could look like. Um, you know, starting with you, Paul, you, you talked a lot about the having uh, governance minimized uh, protocols as, as the base layer. Could you just, um, and, and I think you guys are also building something at Morphle, uh, permissionless lending protocol. Um, anything you can, any, anything you can share there? Yeah. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm not able to share much about it. Like, you know, the, the, the next primitive that Morphle is building is, is just a trustless and efficient lending primitive uh, with permissionless market creation. That is incredibly primitive and that that enables basically recreation of the abstraction that you know you know, people are familiar with 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 Aave or compound but what's nice about having this primitive is that you can project different risk appetites different you know uh conditions for the user uh and it all ends up in the same base micro primitive which is completely trustless and because it's doing one thing and and and, and well well, it's basically much more efficient and and uh, at the core primitive layer, without basically having to sort of fungibilize every single risk profile. And so, yeah, not much I can share more uh, at this stage. But I guess, like, I'm, I'm overall, I'm, I think you understood it. I'm very bullish on on like separating uh, this risk management layer from the base protocol in order to have like trustless, uh, efficient, and 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 scalable lending 
And I think this is what we need in order to get to the next orders of magnitude. Because again, I'm sure, you know, Av is able to to get a plus 50% or plus. Um, in the meantime, uh, for, for Nick or Monet, uh, I think you guys maybe have a different viewpoints than Paul on, on, the, on having the need for a primitive layer, but you still think there there's room for improvement in the current DAO-based model. Um, could you kind of talk about what those improvements would be? Is that automation of parameter updates? Is that uh, new new protocol versions with like uh, isolation mode? Um, yeah. I mean, not completely skeptical. Obviously, Super Bullish and Paul on this team to sort of build this out. I think they sort of exist. You know, these models exist on the spectrum. Excited to see sort of what the market decides. I definitely can see a world where there's like Gauntlet Alpha, Gauntlet Degen, Gauntlet institutional models uh, being put out in the world, and then like users can sort of pick those risk profiles or those pools uh, to to deposit, borrow, lend, whatever in. Um, yeah, I think that that could be cool. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think catering to like a broader range of risk preferences is like. Uh, really, really interesting and, and definitely will bring a lot of benefit to the space. Um, I think even, even, uh, if you kind of adopt that model of like a, just fully permissionless decentralized base layer, um, a lot of the sort of mechanism design that, um, is being put to work at, you know, places like Aave or Compounder maker and automation and parameter management, risk management. Um, a lot of that same insight is going to end up being applied on those permissionless protocols as well. Just basically add like a, you know, one or two layers higher in the stack for, um, you know, the pool managers who are uh, setting up the various sort of risk parameters or, um, you know, basically like yield aggregators where they're deciding, you know, what pools to invest in and, and what parameters to be adopting for them. So um, I think that the the sort of jobs to be done are actually pretty similar uh, for for both of these sort of models. Just uh, just depends on kind of where in the stack it's it's being applied. Sorry for disconnecting. I had some Wi-Fi troubles. I don't know how much you catch from what I said, but uh... Uh, yeah, I think we missed the, the the last part of your of your statement. Oh. oh yeah, so I think I just mostly said it all. I was just saying that you know operational improvements that we can get to get more more parameters which is the path for decentralized brokers uh likely going to get us like a plus 50 percent plus 100 percent improvement from where we are now i think what we need for DeFi today is like a 10x improvements or 100x improvements to actually get at least a little bit closer to to you know something that's more you know competitive with traditional finance which to me is like uh the the end goal uh i yeah, I don't believe incremental improvements uh, and other complexified operations uh, should be the way. But again, like I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Uh, but yeah, and also very agree on on what Manet said on on the automation. I I, I do think that uh, those this is like a, a global effort as an ecosystem, and that will be reusable on on both uh, on both approaches, but at different layers. So yeah, very bullish on this. Awesome. Uh... I think that that's a good place to to wrap it up um, on our, our discussion. Well, I think this was a great discussion on on DeFi risk management, um, where where the space is today, and and where where it's going to evolve in the future. 
uh, appreciate having you all guys on on Dijon Response Fleet, um, and you know look forward to having future discussions on on risk management. Yes, thank you for for hosting uh, this. I think like more generally, the more people talk about like risk management, the better. Just because I think it's not it's not sufficiently, you know, debated in the space. Obviously, it is, but I think there's so much room for improvement in general that I'm I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to speak about those subjects. Mm-hmm.